Welcome to the Ocean Cruisers podcast hosted by Andy H. This week, we are speaking with Martin from the MJambo Sailing YouTube channel. Martin is currently in Germany, planning his next passage to Australia and working on some upgrades to his Bavaria 33 holiday. We speak about his experience sailing and his career prior to his work now as a full-time sailing documentary maker. His incredible solo journeys that took him all the way from Germany to the Caribbean and back. We discuss his boat and the upgrades he made to it to get it ready to cross the Atlantic and what it's like to spend 42 days alone on the ocean and travel 5,000 nautical miles non-stop through multiple weather systems. You can view Martin's incredible journeys and his upcoming passages on his YouTube channel, M Jambo Sailing. Follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and download the audio on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Enjoy! Hello viewers and listeners, this is Andy with the Ocean Cruisers podcast. So today we're going to have a conversation with a gentleman called Martin who has a boat called Jambo. His YouTube channel is M Jambo Sailing. We're specifically going to be talking about two recent trips that he's made. One from his home country down to the Canary Islands and across to the Caribbean. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the troubles he had over there as everybody did who was there in 2020. He then decided to solo sail from the Caribbean back to Germany non-stop. So up the coast of America, around Scotland, then back down to Germany. Pretty wild journey. It's on YouTube. You can check it out. We're also going to have a chat about some of the upcoming trips that he's got planned, which are equally as wild. He wants to solo sail to Australia. Lockdowns persist. He will do that nonstop. Um, he's also going to be putting some videos on uh, YouTube about the refit that he's going to do to his boat, getting ready for that journey. So if you're watching on YouTube, like and subscribe. If you are listening on the podcast, subscribe on there. Check out the Patreon channel where you can become a member and you can be interactive, become part of the podcast themselves and enjoy the chat. I don't know, uh, pick up your question. How did I come to uh, solo sailing or sailing single-ended? So actually, I started sailing in 2012 and uh, did my normal licenses, so uh, which which I needed in uh, Germany. And also, what I did uh, was uh, doing all the radio licenses, like uh, short uh, range certificate, something like that. And then I had a sailing cruise in Turkey in autumn 2012, which was really nice. That was like and a charter trip. Yeah, that was uh, was a charter trip. Yes, uh, we were four. Unfortunately, we didn't have much wind, so it was mainly <laughs> at the end. But it was a good week, and uh, and the plans were made at that time. Sometimes uh, buying a sailing board, which I then did in two thousand and thirteen. Okay. And then I started really sailing, and actually that was my job. I didn't have the name at that time, uh, so I renamed it. Mm -hmm. And then we both really started. I mean, Jumbo was a few thousand nautical miles ahead of me because it was uh, secondhand at that time, four years old. And then I started sailing on the Eiselmeer, that is uh, yeah, a lake, a large lake in the Netherlands, so most people might know that, yeah. and really tested the boat. I, I went out uh, when it was uh, really uh, stormy with uh, wind force eight up to, to nine to test if it uh, really uh, Get really tested it. Out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes, it has a category A, or we call it. So it's it's worse going on uh, on the oceans as well. And predominantly, I did that uh, on myself uh, because I didn't have so many friends having the time of uh, joining me on that. 
And then I did the first uh, long cruise uh, from the Netherlands to the island Helgoland in the North Sea, that what I did uh, with crew and then a few other things uh, the years after. And then my first uh, big uh, solo sailing cruise was uh, from the Netherlands to north of Denmark, Skagen. Mm. There, so going through the Skagerrak. And I really learned uh, how to manage uh, the sleeping as well, because that obviously is, is key if you're on a, challenge. on a few days cruise then uh, one of the challenges is uh, managing uh, your sleep. Yeah. Oh, it was, was terrible, actually. So it was my first time, <laughs> three, three nights on the North Sea, and I was extremely tired when I arrived in, in Skagen and then north of Denmark. So but that was actually my, my starting point. And then afterwards, uh, I did uh, another cruise uh, to uh, northern Spain. Uh, that was, uh, was also with uh, three days uh, over the Biscay Bay. Uh, solo sailing and uh, obviously also managing uh, interval sleeping uh, that was a little bit better and so I built up over the years uh, my skills on uh, solo sailing obviously that is a little bit different than with, with crew not only from a sleeping standpoint but uh, you have to do everything on board alone which means sometimes uh, you're really missing the second pair of hands <laughs> which which is putting the line, well, uh, especially when, when you change uh, a sail. Uh, yeah, for sure, yeah. The ocean, I mean, you, you're standing there and uh, you need to fiddle in uh, the general into the furlex, and then the, you would love to have someone uh, pulling the line <laughs> at some point uh, that it uh, goes in. So yes, um, I think I built up my skills on, on, on solo sailing over the years, but uh, I feel very comfortable uh, with that. I feel very well. Uh, some people very often ask me, why do you sail solo and uh, why you don't have a, have a crew with you? I think from my, from my standpoint, uh, Jumbo is uh, rather small. I mean, many people think a, a sailing board with uh, 10.7 meters and two cabins uh, would be sufficient uh, for a little crew. Yes, it is. If it is only a few days, then it, it all can be managed and handled. But uh, uh, when you go out for weeks at the sea, then you need a lot of things uh, with you. You need uh, the food, you need drinking water. In my case, I need a drinking water because I don't have a water maker yet. So there are plenty of things you need to store. And uh, one cabin actually in, in, in my jumbo is uh, occupied by all those things which I put in. So that's one thing. And on the other, other thing, it should not be underestimated that uh, you are in a little tiny world uh, with another person. So you need to go on very well with that person that you actually can cruise a few weeks um, at, at, at the ocean. The only person I can think of uh, would be my uh, beloved partner, Anke. Yeah. <laughs> I could do it with her. I, I would, at least I would uh, take the risk, let's put it this way. <laughs> yeah. But then you have the question, does your partner want to do a three-week trip across the Atlantic? That's yeah. tougher. <laughs> oh, well, we had, had that question when we uh, stuck uh, at uh, Martinique uh, in the uh, yeah, yeah. corona-like lockdown. So it was quite uncertain if she could uh, get a return flight. She flew in in, in March and uh, just last minute before all the connections uh, were cancelled uh, from Europe uh, to Martinique. And then uh, we did push the airline very hard uh, to get her a return flight. But uh, as it was uncertain, uh, we considered, okay, you, you might need to go with me. Either is sticking in the Caribbean Sea, but I have to leave at some point of time because hurricane season is coming. Mm. And we need to leave prior to June. Obviously, that is a, is a good uh, uh, window, a good good frame uh, to sail uh, to the Azores. And uh, so she would have done it 
if she had, but uh, she was so glad that she couldn't return to that. <laughs> yeah, she was glad that she got that flight. Like, I, <laughs> like, my wife enjoys coming out on the boat. She's good for like four or five days, but if we're talking three weeks, that's it's going to be troubles in the marriage you know, by the end of that journey. It's going to get difficult, let's just say that. Yeah, yeah no, so what just, do you need? Just take it back to the beginning. So you, your introduction to sailing was doing your qualifications first, and then you started chartering afterwards. Yes, it uh, was my way. So actually, uh, that was done in, in 2012 with the uh, first little licenses. And then I went to the so-called uh, yeah, Sportküstenschifferschein. Not quite sure what uh, that is in English, probably some of the ocean cruiser licenses, uh, something okay. like that. That goes a little bit beyond uh, the normal license. Mm -hmm. So I did that in 2013. Yeah, so basically it was a little bit uh, parallel. Uh, starting with the licenses and then uh, also going into sailing. What are the licenses like in Germany? Is it similar to an R? Because I'm from the UK, we have the RYA. Uh, well, ev everywhere has the RYA. But what what is it in Germany? Is it a similar thing where you have like a, a beginner, which is like a competent crew, then you have like a, a yacht master, then you can do like an ocean master? Is it is it similar in Germany? Yeah, I think it's uh, similar in, in Germany. Uh, the the basic or minimum license is a so-called uh, Sportbootführerschein See, which allows you to cruise within the coastal area, I think three nautical miles, something like that. And the other one is uh, driving a yeah, pleasure craft uh, inland mm. under engines and the next one is under sails. And on top of that, you get, uh, yeah, as I said, uh, Sportküstenschifferschein which uh, allows you to cruise up to 12 nautic miles. Uh, obviously, above that, uh, there are no, <laughs> there is no license required because it's the oceans. Uh, uh, there's, there's no requirement by law that, that you need a license anyway. Uh, yeah, in international that, water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a different topic. I mean, uh, do you need a license or don't you need a license? I'm getting the question quite often. Mm. Uh, do you need a license? I always recommend uh, you need to check the local requirements regarding that because some people want to cruise in the Mediterranean Sea and some uh, countries require that you have a license so you need to meet that and some charter companies uh, need a little bit more because they want to feel comfortable that the guy uh, renting the boat is uh, capable of, uh, of uh, yeah, leading it or uh, cruising it so, so that's important that is, is always my advice but uh, I don't think that a license itself uh, yeah Gives, gives, gives any indication of the capability of, of a sailor. I mean, I think there are plenty of good sailors without a license. I know in the UK it's uh, it's not uh, strictly required, or is it in the meanwhile? Is it required? No, it's it's not required, um, which it, 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 I, I suppose the introduction to I actually did did my license. Um, I've, I've been using boats my entire life, never needed a license for it. Although when I was, I think, 16 or 17, uh, I, I started off with a motorboat. I got a... RYA motorboat. I can't remember what it was. It was the basic entry one. It was like a two-day course. And um, I then, many, 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 many years later, I moved to Spain where you do actually require a license. I had no clue. So um, it had gone past the point. I'd actually bought my boat. I was doing all the work to it. And then somebody came up to me when I was just doing some work on the on the stern. They were like, oh, so did you do the Spanish license? I was like, no, what are you, what are you talking about? And, uh, yeah, they're like, yeah, you need to do, you need to do that. Um, yeah. But in, in Spain, um, if, if well it's, if you are Spanish you live in Spain you've got a boat with a Spanish flag on you have to do a Spanish license you can't use an international license they don't recognize them but it's only in Spanish 
Um, and there is a lot of expats in Spain who probably can speak Spanish, but they could not speak enough Spanish to pass like a theory sailing test. Okay. So yeah, difficult one. So in, in Germany, it's actually required. You have to have a license to maneuver a boat. Uh, yes, uh, you should have that. Absolutely. I yeah. mean, uh, and, uh, in any case, so if you don't have a license uh, and then the cruising with a pleasure craft, the River Rhine, mm. uh, you get caught and obviously you get uh, penalized. Yes. Yeah, you're in trouble. So, yeah. so the move for you to go into solo sailing, it was probably by default. It wasn't something that you intended to do. Or, or did you start sailing and, and think to yourself, right, at some day, I want to cross oceans with nobody? <laughs> like, how, how was that? <laughs> Well, that's a very good point. No, I, I didn't think that uh, I would sit uh, now in uh, 2021 and can talk about two Atlantic crosses. Oh. No, I, I didn't, didn't consider that. So when I started with sailing, I mean, it has been a dream for quite a while. And as we just pointed out, uh, a license is necessary of uh, doing it. I couldn't find the time of doing the license. So I was postponing and postponing. You always have a good reason in your life why you postpone something. Mm. But in 2012, I said, stop. <laughs> now it's a point of time uh, when I do this uh, license. So I did that in 2012. And then actually, yeah, I wasn't, wasn't really considering at that point uh, buying a boat. I mean, I was more thinking about uh, chartering a boat. But then when mm -hmm. we had the cruise in uh, Turkey in, in autumn, then uh, the idea was born. Yeah, probably at some point of time, I, I can, can buy a boat. Actually, my first thought was, buying a, a, a motorcraft, so a motor yacht, something like that, and start with it and uh, learning on that and then going with, uh, from there with, uh, with the next uh, boat and uh, would uh, buy a sailing boat. Uh, but actually, I had good friends, all sailors, and they said, uh, you have to go to a sailing boat, don't uh, buy a, <laughs> buy a <laughs> motor first. So I did that. And... So I started in, in 2013 and then I was really enjoying sailing in the Netherlands. It, it was great because the ice is, is, is huge when, when you start because you can sail five hours in that direction and three hours in that and then four in that. So it, it's quite huge. So in the beginning it was, it was absolutely sufficient. Mm. And I didn't think that uh, I would uh, cross the ocean. But one year later, uh, when I had been in Helgoland, uh, on Helgoland uh, was, uh, was my first longer cruise, or after that uh, first longer cruise. Uh, I think the idea was born at some point of time crossing the Atlantic because uh, when you're sailing, you're getting more into the thing. So you listen here, you read articles, uh, you go on YouTube. So you are, you are looking more in, into sailing. And uh, I think that, that one year later, I had the dream yeah. of uh, crossing the Atlantic Ocean at some point of time. At, at that time, it was uh, far the distance, so I didn't expect uh, doing it uh, that soon. So you were thinking about doing this when you were still sailing on the lake? Yes, yeah, yeah absolutely. And I had my yeah. first experience on, on the North Sea, mm. uh, out there, and then the idea was born at some point of time, crossing the Atlantic Ocean. And it was your friends that convinced you to go for a sailboat instead of a motorboat? Yeah, yes, yes, yeah. yes, they had that. Unfortunately, yeah. they, they didn't have the time of, of joining me on my first cruises uh, on the Iceland So I actually gained my first experiences uh, actually uh, single-ended. Oh, it's really interesting. My, you know, my friends were actually convinced when we moved over here, was my friends were convincing me to get a motorboat. And okay. um, I then went online and I did a calculation. I was like, okay, how much money is it going to cost me in fuel to get to Ibiza or Mallorca and back? And I was like, 
wow, that's like one and a half thousand euros. So we'll go with the motor, we'll go with the, uh, the sailboat instead. <laughs> that was like one of the, one of the biggest motivators. It, it's great. You can get places incredibly easy, but wow, you're going to spend a lot of money on fuel. So yeah, that's true. That's an interesting point of view. <laughs> yeah. So from, from the time that you were doing the lake sailing, at what point did you decide, okay, we're going to take it out of the lake and we're going to put it in the ocean? When, when was that? I think that was uh, pretty soon uh, afterwards. So okay. I did uh, one cruise, um, yeah, as I said, in, in, in rough conditions there with uh, eight to nine before uh, to test uh, how seaworthy the boat is. And uh, afterwards I thought, come on, next time we, we sail to Helgoland because Helgoland is uh, one of the, the islands a little bit more away from, from the coastal islands, a very nice destination for every German sailor and that uh, what we did in 2014 in May so with uh, with a few friends uh, we cruised uh, over there and uh, so that was was the first time on, on the North Sea and the feeling was absolutely different I mean also the isomer is, is quite large as we said uh, but but the waves on the sea are, are much longer and you get the swell mm -hmm. and so it was uh, was an interesting feeling in the beginning uh, to sail via the North Sea to, to Helgoland and uh, get that experience. So it was the first time all of the, uh, on the ocean. Then second time, uh, I crossed the English Channel to Lowestoft from the Netherlands. It was also, I think, 30 hours cruise, something like that, getting over there, gained more experience there. Actually noticed that active AIS is absolutely crucial. <laughs> the English Channel, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would be. With a lot of traffic, I mean, I stand there with a, with a spyglass and then does it work? Are we getting behind? Are we getting in front? And today with, with the AIS, you get your closest uh, point uh, of approach, you get your time, you get everything, you get all the data. Yeah. But so, so when, when I did the first time with AIS, I clearly decided I need AIS and bought it a few months afterwards. Yeah, I mean, going through the English Channel, if you didn't have AIS, you would just be, you'd be looking out with your binoculars constantly. There's, there's yeah. boats everywhere. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I did that with crew, so that was not yeah. the best. So just say, for example, at, at what point, you, I only said it was like at 2012, but you said that your entry into sailing, you've been putting it on and on and on and on and you, you were waiting, as you, as you do, because life gets ahead of you. If you've got a job and you're earning money and a house, that type of thing. Was there something specific happened in your life that made you say, right, okay, now I'm going to do it because this has happened or this will happen? Or was there anything that made you take that step? Oh, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, I, I think, I mean, when you're in your mid 40s and 40s, oh, one second, let me put that down. Uh, let me start again. That's okay. So, actually, when you're in the mid 40s and uh, uh, approaching, uh, yeah, the age of 50, then you're in a kind of uh, midlife crisis, let's put it this way. <laughs> <laughs> At least uh, you look into different directions. Yeah. <laughs> to do crazy things. Uh, I started sailing, actually. So I think that was uh, probably one of the motivations. So I want to do something different, as many, many people want to do in the 40s. And uh, I came back to what I had been dreaming on for quite a long time. So I was interested in boats uh, 10, 15 years before. A friend of mine uh, lived in the US at the Chesapeake Bay, so I could join him for a little cruise on the Chesapeake oh, Bay. Yeah, nice spot for sailing. Oh, yes, it was, was all so, so cool. So that, that dream was, was there. And uh, I, I simply uh, 
made it in 2012 and started uh, with uh, with the licenses. That's really cool. And was uh, was your beloved partner? Was she supportive of the concept of buying a sailboat and traveling around the world? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. At that point, I didn't mention that I would uh, would uh, sail across the ocean. <laughs> yeah, start <laughs> <Not> simple. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. She's uh, fully supportive. She she loves uh, the boat life. Uh, she loves uh, coastal cruising, yeah. and uh, we really both enjoy that. It's 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 great. So yes, we both are addicted. What what did you wife? What did you? Sorry, is she your wife or is she your fiance? She's my partner. Right, right, part, part, cool. How how did you get into that conversation of you getting on a boat and sailing across the Atlantic by yourself? Did did was that like a gradual thing or did you one day watching TV? I, I'm going. <laughs> you know, how did you get into it? Yeah, that is. Uh, I think uh, circumstances uh, forced the discussion. Okay. Because in 2000 and what do we have now? 2021. I saw 2019. I started, and actually we are doing our plans or making our plans quite well in advance, six, seven, eight months before. So I made the plan sailing to the Canary Islands in 2018. Okay. And in 2018 we sailed to south of Norway, Sweden. It, it was all great. It, it was so much fun. But then I wanted to go the other direction. So the year before, in 2017, I went to northern Spain and back. That was nice. And so in 2019, I wanted to go the other direction. So I figured out that so usually what, what I'm doing is uh, sailing two weeks to the destination, then sailing there for two weeks and then sailing back. For, for two weeks. So that has been the plan in, in the past or sometimes getting three weeks uh, there or something like that. And this time I thought I, I could, could probably go even, even further if I sail there, let the boat over the winter there and next year I'm sailing back. So, so the plan sailing to the Canary Islands was made in 2018. Okay. I wanted to go to the Canary Islands so sail to the Canary Islands in about four or five weeks, but but always sailing with a boat for two weeks to one place and flying back, working again at the time I was working, then going back and then sailing the next uh, uh, bit uh, to the Canary Islands and then enjoying with my partner Anke the Canary Islands. So what happened in, in 2019, my employer surprised me with a little reorganization and said, yeah, I'm sorry, <laughs> you are out. <laughs> I've, I've had one of those. Yeah, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Yeah, guess uh, um, uh, where the company is located? US. Okay, it's an American company. <laughs> they tap you on the shoulder one day and say, oh, you're great. We, we can't do without you. And uh, a few months later, they're reorganized and uh, you're out. So I was out from one week to another, actually. So I had to work a few days. So it was that happened in March. And actually, uh, afterwards, I feel forced to happiness, I have to say mm. that. I mean, the good yeah. thing is in American companies, uh, you get your um, uh, suspension, what is it? Uh, remuneration, yeah, no, what is it? Uh, redundancy payment, I think yeah. was the word. So you get your redundancy uh, payment, uh, which uh, was was okay. And, and actually, um, also it surprised me at that point of time, I was uh, preparing for the next chapter of life after the working life. And that would have happened probably two or three years later. So I was uh, saving a okay. lot of, that point because i didn't want to go until 65 that's the number of retirement age 
in Germany. So I wanted to stop working earlier and it probably would have happened now or something like that. So they surprised me with it a little bit earlier. So plans were made sailing to the Canary Islands. So what I did in April and May uh, last year, not last year, the year before 2019, was uh, making jumbo fit for, for an ocean crossing because uh, we had to decide at, at some point uh, what would we do uh, when I'm on the Canary Islands. Two options, obviously, uh, sailing back to Spain and then uh, France and uh, Belgium and uh, probably England uh, back to the Netherlands. That's uh, one option. The other option was uh, going via the Atlantic Ocean to the Caribbean Sea and then uh, sailing back to the Azores and then doing all the nice stops uh, in the at the English Channel and uh, mm. visiting uh, the English uh, Channel Islands again, those kind of things, which obviously didn't happen because of the of the lockdown situation mm. uh, last year. So that was uh, was a decision we had to make, and uh, I didn't say. I mean, yes, my preference was obviously clear. I want to cross the ocean, <laughs> but it was a, was a mutual decision. So um, we discussed it, and then we said, uh, "What should we do?" Yes, I can can go back via Spain, probably Portugal again, and uh, do that or the other way. And uh, we both decided, uh, yes. I sail across the Atlantic and we meet in the Caribbean Sea and uh, see us there and uh, have a nice time. Also knowing that uh, we would um, not see us uh, for quite a while because I mean, uh, going back uh, uh, in Europe would be much easier flying back in between or something like that. Mm. And, uh, but going to the Caribbean Sea would uh, require that uh, we are much longer apart in between uh, than the other way. But we both decided that, and uh, so I got the green light <laughs> and uh, could do that. So you're crossing to you're crossing over to the Caribbean. You said was it 28 days you did it or 27 days? Uh, from the uh, to the Caribbean Sea. Yes, that was 27 days. 27 days, right? So you 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 had already sailed down to the Canary Islands, and it was a it was a point after that, basically where you got made redundant, that you decided, okay, now I'm going to take the boat over to the Caribbean rather than bring it back to Germany. So actually, uh, we decided that uh, prior to the start from the Netherlands, we de we decided that uh, that would be the plan, uh, sailing to the Canary Islands, and then from there to the Caribbean Sea and then back to Germany. So that was, was right. made prior to heading off to the Canary Islands. Right, okay. And so I'll, I'll get back onto a different topic, but I just wanna know, this this whole trip basically got messed up because of the lockdowns and the restrictions that the Caribbean countries are putting in place. And you ended up um, returning back to Germany a few months later. Was it like three or four months later? How long were you actually there for? Uh, say it again, sorry. So how long were you in the Caribbean before you then okay. had to leave? I So in the Caribbean Sea, I arrived early in February and uh, left early in May. So actually at uh, February, March, April, so a little bit more than three months. Okay. And yeah. I mean, yeah, and from the subsequent videos that you put on YouTube as well, you actually got to see quite a lot of the Caribbean in that short space of time. Like you did visit a lot of islands. Yeah, I saw Guadeloupe, Antigua, Barbuda. I tried to visit uh, Nevis, but I couldn't get in, in the country because uh, they made it uh, quite uh, ugly for people uh, clearing in. And then I gave up and sailed up to uh, St. Martin. And then from there, uh, Saint-Martin, so the French part of that island, and 
one-stop sat bars and then I went down to Martinique. Yeah. But I didn't see much of Martinique because uh, the whole time uh, we spent uh, uh, at Anchor uh, at, in Le Marin or uh, St. Anne. Okay, all right. So how long did you intend to stay there for? If, if the whole trip, the whole expedition would have gone according to plan, how long would you have stayed there? Actually, similarly, I always wanted to, to leave the Caribbean Sea early in May. Right. Uh, because I did a lot of modifications uh, on Jumbo in April and May 2019. So prior to heading off to the Canary Islands, so I put the solar panels on, uh, did a few other things. And uh, for me, uh, the whole, yeah, the whole sailing around the Atlantic, the two crosses, uh, was a kind of... Uh, I wouldn't say test drive, but uh, it was for me to see uh, how the boat. <laughs> Can you imagine crossing the Atlantic is the test. <laughs> you know, what's the real thing? <laughs> exactly, but uh, for me it was uh, was really to see uh, how the boat is performing on such long cruises, and also it was important uh, to see how I would get on with uh, first of all uh, the long passages uh, over the oceans. How would I get on being apart from a partner uh, for such a long time? Um, how will it all work? And th that was very important. Uh, actually, uh, I came back with a long list of, of things I would like to change on board. Uh, that's clear. But on the other hand, also, it was has become clear to me what I like, what I don't like. Uh, actually, I like the single-handed uh, crossings. That is, is going extremely well. I have a very good cruising there. And things that, uh, yeah, it's, it's easier, as we said before, it's easier to do it uh, uh, single-handed than having uh, someone with me. Also, I could handle all the things on board uh, very well. And uh, what I also found out, what I don't like is uh, exploring all the new cities and uh, the new areas there on my cell. That I would like to do uh, with, with my partner, Anke. So yep. And gives us some guidance for the future, how we want to organize uh, such, such cruises. And yes, it, it was really fantastic. I mean, uh, I, I learned so many things. Um, it was the first time for me that I had to do a customs clearance uh, somewhere uh, with a boat. So I learned that uh, regulations are quite different from country to country. <laughs> the easiest one are the French islands uh, in the Caribbean Sea. They make it very easy yeah. uh, for people just keying everything in, in into a computer. And then uh, uh, someone in a, in a snack shop, actually in St. Andes was uh, Snack Boo Boo. A very nice guy and uh, so you key it in uh, you stamps it uh, you pay three euros and and that's it and then you are you have done custom clearance while other islands make it very ugly like nevis i couldn't easily clear in so i didn't do it antigua they were very bureaucratic but uh, it was a fair process were these then, difficulties because of covid or is this like processes that they just no, have in place anyway no, no, it was before. I was all oh, prior to COVID. Yeah, yeah. So actually, the customs clearance process was only affected uh, once at the end in Fort de France uh, when uh, France uh, did a declaration that they do a lockdown and then uh, there was no possibility to do customs clearance. But I think they have uh, overdone a little bit. They shouldn't. I mean, when, when, when you close borders, you, sh you shouldn't uh, close the border controls, for instance. But that's mm -hmm. what, what they did. But I could uh, could do customs clearance in Le Marin afterwards, and I uh, uh, explained it. I was in Fort de France, couldn't clear. And I said, "Yeah, we, uh, sorry about that. We, we but we're in crazy times, and uh, we're getting into that." So, a little bit uh, uh, apologetic. So they explained uh, that uh, some of the 
of the authorities probably have a little bit over that. No, all, all the other customs clearance was prior to that. And uh, when, when I left uh, Martinique, it was also easy. Snack Google was open. They had a, had a piece of paper outside, a little announcement uh, when they have the opening times and they could easily do customs clearance there and uh, leave France. It's funny, you know, being European or living in within the EU, you completely forget what it's like to have to do a customs clearance, to get a visa, to get permission to enter a country. It's, it's so strange. Yeah. Um, like I've, I've lived overseas my, my entire life, more or less, since I was like 19, so I'm used to it. But my wife is from Syria. And wow. going anywhere if you're from Syria is, in most cases, impossible. <laughs> you just can't get yeah. in. A lot of countries just don't accept people from Syria. But when we moved back to Europe, I remember when we were in Spain and we were talking about going on holiday places, and I was like, you know, we'll go to Italy, we can go to France, we can go to um, Portugal. And she was like, oh, how do we get there? I was like, oh, we'll just drive. And she was like, oh, you can just drive. I was like, yeah. She was like, but what about the borders? And like, do I need my passport? I was like, there is no borders. It's like, mind blown. Like, yeah, she couldn't <laughs> understand it. I was always like, you could just drive to a different country. I was like, yeah, you can just drive there. No yeah. passports, no borders. So yeah, you, we're, we're kind of spoiled in a way because we've got so many incredible choices um, being in mainland Europe. Um, right, question. So prior to you crossing the Atlantic by yourself, which was 27 days, what was the biggest solo offshore passage that you'd done? Was it like crossing Biscay, possibly? Yeah, the biggest one was actually uh, sailing from Fincan to Porto in Portugal. Oh, okay. It, it wasn't planned like that. Uh, I got a little bit late uh, with departing from the Netherlands uh, because I had to do a renewal of the, of the rig. Uh, so actually, when I, when I asked my insurance company in, in May 2019 uh, to insure me for the ocean, for the Atlantic Ocean and the Caribbean Sea and the return, um, uh, they made it a little bit uh, of a mess and uh, informed me very late that uh, there's a, what is it, um, ah, one second, you need to cut that out. Um, you need to ask it's me. like you've got 10 years or something. Uh, yeah, so you, uh, there was an assessment of the boat was necessary. Oh, you needed a survey yeah. on it. A survey, oh, yeah, okay. So oh, this pretty strict. So, yeah, the, the, the insurance uh, company surprised me that there was a survey necessary on the book uh, because it was older than 10 years. Uh, they notified me very late. They sent me a letter at home and also advised them before that I'm not at home. Uh, please communicate via emails because I can pick up emails. And they were so upset with them and uh, changed uh, my insurer. And uh, when I changed my insurer, uh, they said, let me see what I can do it because I have a back company, back insurance company, and they check with them. And they said, uh, you only have to do a rig, uh, uh, you only have to do a rig check. A rig check, right. Which I thought, okay, that's good. We just tick the box and then I, then I can get my insurance. But they found that the rig was uh, no longer okay. So they go up there and they check uh, all the plates where the hooks are in. Of the, of the wires or the steel ropes. So there were a few broken and uh, also some of the, of the ropes uh, were broken. So I had to renew the rig. And okay. so that was done in, in June. And as I couldn't find somebody doing it uh, quickly enough, so I lost one week there. And then I sailed off to, I wanted to go straight to the English uh, Channel Islands to St. Peter Port on Guernsey. I've been there before and uh, I was really looking forward to that. But then my uh, autopilot motor had a breakdown uh, near Eastbourne after 
two and a half days. So I went down to Fecon and had to stop there and needed to get a new autopilot motor. And that is a story in itself. <laughs> but it took me one week uh, to get it. So, so the first delivery failed uh, because uh, I think the parcel got lost. And um, afterwards, I decided taking a rental car, driving to Germany, pick up the autopilot motor and uh, go back. Oh. Yeah, and then when everything was ready, it was uh, a strong wind uh, in the English Channel, so wind force eight. And uh, as I wasn't very lucky before, I thought, come on, stop there for another couple of days. And then I got late because my partner, Anke, had already booked a flight to Porto, and I wanted to see her in, in a week's time. So I had to sail solo and nonstop from Tecon to Porto. That was uh, six days and... 750 odd miles, nautic miles, something like that. Oh, nice. So, sure. that, so that was uh, was my yeah my longest uh, solo sailing cruise uh, so far. Yeah. What type of autopilot is it that you've got on the boat? So actually, I have a um, pretty new BNG uh, navigation system with a with a NAC two autopilot motor, which is okay. is very good, uh, and that communicates uh, with a Luma rotary drive. And that is sitting in the cockpit uh, beneath the helm and uh, with change, uh, the force is uh, yeah, transmitted uh, to, the, to the helm and that steers actually uh, as a rudder, rudder. And that is, is something which uh, Luma has been struggling with uh, for quite a while. Mm -hmm. And uh, those, those motors uh, fail very often. And actually this one was, was even under, under warranty. So I changed it one year before. I didn't expect that it fails that soon. And so that motor failed. So afterwards, I got this one exchange under warranty. So I had one spare. And as I wasn't sure that I get this warranty case cleared in, 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 a, in a new spare motor from Luma, I bought another one. But I got it prior to the Atlantic crossing. So actually, I left uh, the Canary Islands uh, with two spare motors uh, of this uh, Luma rotary drive. So the previous one only lasted a year, then it, then it broke? Yeah, then it broke. I'm not, not quite sure why. Uh, Luma had some problems uh, with, uh, with the clutch, because the clutch is, uh, needs uh, uh, electricity all the time, so it's an electrical clutch. Mm. Uh, I think the main problem uh, is in the clutch. But what they also uh, did, uh, they put a kind of, uh, yeah, they put a relay in and that ensures that uh, the current not the current uh, the voltage cannot drop uh, beneath uh, 12 volts and okay. since uh, i think they have less problems uh, with that motor probably they did some further modifications on that but this one actually which i changed in Fecon, uh, that lasts the whole journey so I, I went to the caribbean sea sailed in the caribbean sea and went back uh, to to germany so that motor had done 11,000 nautic miles without any problem. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it was just the, the previous way they designed it. They're really yeah. hard to get replacement parts for. I've got a friend who, is, is, he also um, has a sailboat. In, it's actually the very 34 holidays, the same as yours. Um, yeah, it's exactly the same boat as yours. And uh, he had the same problem. So uh, the motor went, he uh, contacted them and they said, yeah, it's a Lumar part. I think they advised him it would take two months to get a new motor to him because they just didn't have any. Um, they didn't have any on the shelves waiting to send them out. That was in February of last year. And I know that it then took him, I think it was about six or seven months because 
they didn't have it in stock. Then COVID happened. Then nobody was shipping any parts. He actually ordered it into Gibraltar, um, and nothing was coming into Gibraltar as well. So uh, it took him uh, took him a pretty long time. And um, so, just I just want to talk about your boat because you you bought your boat, and it was ready for sailing on a lake, and then you've refitted we refitted it gradually it seems to get it ready to do big ocean crossings um can you just talk to us so it's a bavaria 34 holidays it's the fancy version it's got like the full teak deck it's a really beautiful uh, really beautiful yacht yeah actually uh, when when i bought my jumbo uh, i didn't have any clue about sailing boats so <laughs> it picked a good one if it was an accident yeah <laughs> I was lucky. One of my friends uh, really gave brilliant advice uh, during the uh, process of, of finding the right boat. And he said, oh, yeah, you, you want, want to have the sail uh, rolled into the, to the mast. That is one thing. <laughs> yeah, it's handy. Yeah, yeah because <laughs> it's quite good. And I, I still like it. So I, I wouldn't change that. But that's another story. I mean, there are different philosophies. One like it uh, uh, with a uh, with a little oh what, what is it uh, which so you, you have you have one sail which you roll into the mass and the other option mm. how's that, that called in english oh so it could be like a stay sail or a, or a storm yeah, yeah. jib or something like that yeah. yeah so he gave me plenty of advice so you need a heating system in the netherlands because uh, it can be uh, quite cold uh, in spring and in autumn uh, you do, you want uh, uh, two water circuits uh, one for cold uh, one for for hot mm. and plenty of sourcing and then the autopilot uh, you want don't want something which is attached to, to the helm you want it uh, integrated uh, uh, so so many things so i think with many things probably probably most things uh, the advice was spot on but it yes, was a very the, basic checklist as well when you went to buy your boat <laughs> these are very basic things that you're looking for i need i need a sail that does this yeah. i need the, this yeah <laughs> i mean afterwards I would think could have been a meter longer, but uh, I think every every owner of a sailing boat thinks, oh, it could be a meter longer. <laughs> mm. Yeah, of course. And and the thing yeah. is, you know, you aim, you set out, okay, I want the Bavaria 34, and then you're like, oh, but the 36 has this, and then the 40 does this, and then the 45, and yeah, you could keep yeah, it. I think also, for solo sailing, the size you've got is perfect. Yeah. So there was also a budget, so I couldn't couldn't mm. go much higher, and uh, also my partner liked it a little bit uh, smaller. And so we decided for that, and it was not a bad decision, but we never thought at that point of time that uh, we are going on, on distant cruises or long cruises and crossing oceans or something like that. So, and then, as I said, I mean, we started sailing and uh, we are expanding our horizon or looking over the edge. And first thing was uh, going to Helgoland, that was good. Then crossing the English Channel, going to Lowestoft, that was good. And then I got the, the the first uh, change modification, so I, I bought uh, AIS, so an AIS transponder that uh, I'm not only can see the other ships, but uh, that uh, you are uh, seen as well, which is uh, very important. Yeah. So I actually bought a, a piece from WeatherDoc uh, with uh, Wi-Fi, so I could connect it with a tablet and could do all the settings there. So pretty good. And also it was a was a alarm buzzer. Which I could buy for that as well, and at that time I was was already thinking about uh, solar sailing, and that is very helpful as well. If you have yeah. your alarm zone, and then you get get your alarm in when a boat is is coming to to close, and uh, that, that's quite handy. So that was the first thing which uh, which I installed, and, and afterwards, um, 
a few other things. So a, a little inverter that I get uh, 220 volts on board uh, when I'm not connected uh, to the power, electricity power, it's, it's a peer. So that was a little modification. But apart from that, only a few things, sometimes a new battery and, uh, and, and nothing special. But in 2018, when we decided going to the Canary Island, uh, I, I thought by myself, um, there's probably more necessary. And at that point, I already uh, considered a new navigation system. I had the Raymarine system, which was at that point of time, 10 years old. Uh, the autopilot was not uh, working that well. I could have gone for a wind fane as well, but uh, I wasn't quite sure if I can put that uh, it's a uh, it's a it's a stern. Mm. Um, I, I mean, usually long cruisers, most of them go with a wind fan, which, which is fine. If, if it works, uh, it's yeah. good. Uh, my problem is is a swimming platform, which is in the middle, uh, which I cannot sacrifice for a wind fan because I need to get the dinghy uh, ready at, at yeah. there. Otherwise, I can't do that. So it would have been moved out of the center. And as Jumbo is well, it's quite a strong list, uh, sometimes uh, 20 to 25 uh, degrees, and sometimes a wave gives a little push as well, then uh, you're at uh, 30 degrees. So yes, with a, with a wind fan out of the center, uh, it needs to go, it needs to be very long. Yeah, it needs and, to go very far down. And then probably the forces, um, um, at, at the points which is connected yeah, so like, to the boat, no. um, would be quite strong. And uh, at least I know from three people uh, where they had uh, problems uh, with, uh, with the connecting points that they got loose. And uh, so I was, wasn't quite sure if, uh, yeah, if, if the board is fit for that. I mean, we're doing so many modifications on the board without asking any design engineer, but uh, with something like that, uh, which is, uh, is going at the stern and, and also it, it is beneath the waterline, at least it's, mm -hmm. it's very close. I didn't feel comfortable doing that. So I decided going for an electrical autopilot and you need that anyway. I mean, uh, sometimes you don't have the wind. Uh, I had uh, on the return cruise had 30 hours uh, driving through a high pressure uh, with, with the engine. And uh, so you need a good autopilot, electrical autopilot uh, anyway. So that's, mm. uh, that was, was my thought process. Uh, rather going for a very good electrical autopilot then keeping the old system and then putting something at the stern, which I'm not comfortable with because it might be too risky. The boat might not be strong enough and uh, might require even to strengthen that whole area even more. So that was a surprise. So I bought a new uh, uh, navigation system, uh, two chart plotters and uh, also a nice uh, format scan. Mm -hmm. And also this very good uh, uh, NAC to autopilot computer with gyro sensors, uh, it works very well. I mean, uh, you can play a little bit uh, with the settings and you can adjust those settings uh, to all, this, all the sea conditions you have. And even in the, in the rough sea on the return cruise, when I had to battle with the rest of that uh, tropical storm Asa and the waves were up to four or five meters, it, it was, was very good. It steered extremely well. I was, I was not sailing downwind and uh, I was actually sailing hard up the wind as best as I could. Uh, actually, I got, got an angle of 90 degrees to, to, to the real wind, but <laughs> under those conditions, it was pretty good. Mm -hmm. So I, I didn't lose any, any 
anyway in, in the direction I, I wanted to go. So that worked very well. So I put that in. And then obviously when I decided or decided together with my partner that uh, we cross the, uh, I cross the Atlantic or, uh, Ocean and uh, we sail in the Caribbean Sea, uh, I decided uh, that I need uh, more energy for that. So I put, uh, put the solar panels in and uh, did all the steel pipe construction. I had to do it myself. Uh, because there was uh, not enough time to find someone who could uh, do it and also for a reasonable price or so doing it myself uh, was uh, much, much uh, cheaper. So, so did you set... buy the steel tubes and you bought the elbow brackets, that type of setup? Yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah. Oh, it's a setup. And also I put uh, those uh, steel ropes in. Yeah, to support it. Yeah. To stop uh, it from doing that. Yeah, uh, similar to the mast. So the mast is uh, similar to the rig of the mast, uh, mm. similar concept. So you put those steel ropes in to stabilize it and that works very well. So I put that in and apart from that, not so many modifications. I think it was more or less ready and the rest I wanted to see how it goes. And then I started to, to the Canary Islands and for me, it's test ground because when you put a steel construction in and solar panels, um, so I didn't do any calculations uh, on the forces. Uh, I mean, yes, I'm an engineer, but uh, you do you, you work a lot according to your gut feeling, what you think. Mm. <laughs> yeah, work. that's fine. Yeah. So uh, for me, was the whole cruise to the Canary Islands uh, was also a kind of test drive to see how it all works. So I had some some of the pipes disconnecting in in, in very rough conditions, uh, and I did a few little changes uh, on Lanzarote there. But apart from that, uh, it, it all worked very well. And then I said, okay, we've gone here. We have gone through the rough conditions around the Canary Islands. And the Canary Islands, I mean, most people know that. They have the so-called acceleration zones. Uh, yeah. Those are wind zones between the islands. And the wind is a little bit diverted there. And uh, you get uh, partially high wind speeds there. So I had uh, one cruise from La Palma to El Guero. We had uh, wind force seven to eight and uh, the waves are quite high and it's a little bit different uh, to the open uh, ocean when you have 4,000 meters depth and you're in coastal area and then the waves are coming to the coast so they can get a little bit steeper yeah. uh, on the open ocean. So, but that all worked very well. So I didn't lose any panels. It was good. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Nothing fell apart. So you got, so from going to the, well, okay, so to go to the Canary Islands and then setting off from, you basically upgraded your navigation system, your autopilots. So that was a full system, so it all works yeah. in, in unison. Um, you, you got the solar panels attached and you upgraded the battery system. That's what I did uh, on Lanzarote. So yeah. actually what I found out, uh, I had to, um, two times 180 amper hours AGM batteries. Mm. And oh, they were not perfect. I mean, the capacity was, was not good. The batteries were a little bit old and uh, didn't have the capacity uh, as, as, as I had when I, when I bought them. So I decided, yes, let's go for new batteries and uh, be a little bit more on the safe side. Um, that was was not very good because the batteries I bought on, on Lanzarote, I exchanged them, I think in, in October. So I departed uh, from Lanzarote in January, uh, put them on board and, and put them in. And then I was always connected to, to, to the electrical power hmm. uh, from the pier. So that 
we're not really tested. And what I found out uh, first night on the ocean, I found out that they are even worse or were even worse than what I had before. So that was uh, always uh, very difficult. So the problem with, with a small uh, capacity of, of the battery is, uh, first of all, obviously you need to charge more often. So mm. the solar panels, uh, they provide the, the power during the day, uh, but early in the afternoons, they come to a point when the batteries are full. They could deliver more, but they uh, regulate it down and the, the controller uh, then stops uh, delivering the amperes. Mm. Uh, so that limits your uh, solar panels on one hand, on the other hand, uh, during the night, uh, it's trying to go up um, yeah, more often, I think three times during the night, and to switch on the engine. So I was charging with the engine and the engine, and that's something I forgot. I put a sterling um, uh, controller in, which okay. uh, gives more performance from, from the alternator, from the engine. Yeah. So that delivers about 70 to 75 amperes uh, at mediums, uh, medium RPM, uh, RPMs. They're really oh, good quality as well. I've I've got I've got one on my boat that is twenty five years old and it still yeah. works perfectly. Yeah, they're brilliant quality. Really good. So I really they they are doing a, a very good job uh, mm. job and uh, with with those uh, uh, yeah, boosters they, they call it uh, booster. So I put that in. So actually during the night I had to to charge three times uh, because of the of the bad batteries. So that was was not very good. Were the batteries bad, or do you think you just needed more capacity? No, they were bad. <laughs> right. Okay. So they they were. Just, they, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Were, were they not? Yeah, when they're full, I mean, uh, they they start with thirteen point six volts, and uh, I think after ten minutes they went down to twelve point six volts. Uh, oh, right. that, yeah, that means I had to go. My limit, uh, my lower limit was uh, twelve volts at that point of time, which is actually a little bit lower than you should. Mm. I think you should go down to 12.2. So I I have done overdone a little bit, but there was no other choice. So I've, and then you have only 0.6 volts you can work with instead of coming from 30.6. So I think the real capacity was probably maximum 40% of what they should have. All right, that's pretty terrible. Because AGNs, you should be able to get quite a lot, quite a lot out of them. They're a lot better than like basic lead acid yeah my on my boat i think when i get down to like 12.2 everything just starts flickering so like the chart plotter will start the screen will start going the depth goes the wind vane stops working all that type of stuff okay so what what did you, when you got to the caribbean did you change those batteries or did you increase the capacity of your battery bank so what i did uh, i mean when i arrived there it, it wasn't a big problem. I mean, uh, during the day cruises, uh, it was all okay. And then at Anchorage, uh, it was okay. So, um, and, and usually when, when you leave uh, the Anchorage, you have the engine on. So you run at least half an hour on the engine yeah. and you recharge the batteries. And then, so it, it has not been a real problem uh, on, on the coastal cruises. And also at Anchorage, it was not a big problem. So <clears throat> I didn't see any need of uh, putting additional batteries on. But when I was in, in Le Marin, um, it, it, was, it, was, it was quite warm. I mean, we were a little bit more advanced in the year, so it was, it was March and it, it was getting warmer. And uh, there we couldn't get through the night uh, with those batteries because of the high consumption of the, of the fridge. Mm. 
Um, and then I decided there to buy three additional batteries and I bought, uh, what was it, calcium, calcium coal batteries. Okay. They have, yeah, they have similar requirements uh, regarding the voltage. As the AGM, uh, not similar, exactly the same requirements regarding the voltage. So about three times 108 ampere hours in one of the shops and uh, I added them to the existing ones. And that uh, I think it at least doubled the capacity uh, of, the, of the batteries. And then we could go through the night, but then we had the problem at Anchorage uh, in the mornings, uh, we needed to recharge uh, the, the batteries and need to switch the engine on. That's not very good uh, because the engine should only run when it really has to do something. I mean, just uh, uh, switching it on once and at Anchorage, uh, it's not it's not very good for the diesel engine. So yeah. then I decided there, uh, buying a Honda Genset EU22i, and it was, was a very good move. Then in, in the mornings I could uh, run this uh, little Genset there for, for one hour and uh, uh, reloading the batteries during the day was fine with the solar panels, uh, so that that was 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 actually really good. And also that genset uh, I used uh, on the return cruise as well. It was was perfect. I was going to ask that. So the Honda genset that you've got, the uh, the little si uh, silent generator, you you were able to plug that into your shore power connection effectively, and could could you run like two twenty in, in your boat from that as well? Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, uh, the, the Honda Genset is providing uh, 220 volts. Yeah. And then you go into your socket where the power comes from the pier. And actually what I did, uh, I was, uh, was putting that uh, to the other side of the boat. So actually I have all the, all the fuses uh, sitting at, uh, at uh, starboard. So I disconnected that uh, cable, put two ends to the other side, enabling me to plug it in into the... 220 volt inverter mm. and on the other hand uh, what I could do when I had the genset running I could uh, uh, put it uh, connected uh, with the 220 volts on board and then obviously I have the charger uh, 45 amperes which uh, is, is standard uh, at, uh, on board and with that 45 ampere charger I could load the batteries. Wow fantastic so that, that made a massive difference that's basically stopped you from needing to turn your engine on like a couple of times a day or at least when you first woke up. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah. it, it saves engine life a little bit. <laughs> yeah. No, that's really, really cool. So yeah. uh, how many watts of power in, uh, for the solar uh, do you have on the boat? So I have uh, 480 uh, watt peaks. Okay. That's what it's called. Yeah, which is, which is uh, at Anchorage, I would think with, with a sufficient uh, battery bank, uh, I wouldn't need to switch to the genset on every day, probably every second or every third day. But uh, because of the small capacity at, at, at lunchtime, batteries were full and, uh, and you could, couldn't uh, uh, collect more ampere hours uh, with them. But actually what I already did was uh, buying uh, 600 ampere hours lithium this January or so this month. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, they, they go on board uh, when, when the boat is in the water. Uh, I, I change those batteries and, and that should cure all my battery Problems, mm. <laughs> and also uh, what I'm gaining from the solar panels uh, will be much, much, much more. Yeah, much more efficient way of uh, of, um, of using the solar panels as well. Okay, so is there anything? Obviously, after you did the trip back from the Caribbean to Germany, is there any additional changes that you wanted to make to your boat after that, other than upgrading like the uh, the entire battery system? Was there anything else that you wanted to change? 
Uh, yes. So, so actually, what uh, what I've considered is uh, first of all um, um, windlass uh, for the anchor. So, I mean, it's it's a moment I'm uh, what I've done in the Caribbean Sea is uh, was uh, pulling it uh, manually on board, which is normally under nice and fine and easy conditions, <clears throat> not a problem for the solar seller uh, pulling up the eight mil chain, uh, because usually you pull the boat with the chain uh, to the anchor. Yeah, but I had a few times I had extremely rough conditions. Then it's tough. <laughs> And it was not that easy. <laughs> yeah. Solo as well, that would be very difficult. Yeah. Yes, and, and you're solo. There's, there's no one at the helm who you can give, give a sign uh, that direction and uh, yes, right. <laughs> oh, no, no. You have to, to get a little bit clearance in the chain. Mm. <laughs> you run to the bow and then you pull it in and then you need to be fast enough putting it uh, somewhere at the, at the clamp. Is the clamp the right word? What's the... Oh, just to like the cleats, like wrap it yeah, around. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. So put it in there, and you need to be fast enough that uh, your fingers are not good, good get hurt. So yeah. it took me 45 minutes in rough conditions uh, to get the anchor in, and then I decided, yes, you get number one priority on my list. Yeah, get a really chunky windlass on the front. Uh, most, yeah. most of the sailing I do is it, solo sailing, but my, my wife and my kid are always on board. Um, she gets quite... She gets seasick, not not easily, but I think like 30, 40 minutes out, if it's choppy, she gets a bit seasick. So I've I've only ever solo sailed, really. I've never really sailed with anybody helping me. And um, the only time I ever ask her for help is if we're anchored up and then it gets incredibly windy, um, then I, I have to. I, I've got no other option. Like if you're at the front of the boat and you've got like 30 knots of wind, yeah. you try and pull an eight-ton an eight boat. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely possible so it's literally only at that time i'll just pop my head down and be like, can you can you just come and push on the accelerator a bit for me and she's like yeah okay that's the only time i need the help so that was the main thing that you thought you would benefit from if you went and did some long-term cruising again yeah so th that is one thing because it's uh, not only for convenience but it's a safety factor as well mm. uh, so that uh, will go in then the larger battery uh, bank uh, as well then also a new charger I mean, I was fully dependent on the 45 ampere charger. Hmm. Uh, first of all, the capacity is not very good uh, with 100 amperes. And uh, secondly, if there has a breakdown, I wouldn't have anything. So it was, it, so I need, need a new charger as well, which I bought as well. So a 100 ampere charger, uh, which allows uh, a shorter loading time, obviously, or charging time hmm. uh, for, the, for the batteries. So that's what I put on. And basically, ah, the water maker, I shouldn't forget the water maker. <laughs> yeah, because you were filling up water jugs when you were in the Caribbean, yeah? And that is, once, uh, so first of all, it's for convenience, yes, because mm. uh, what we had to do is uh, to go with, uh, with the cans and uh, uh, drive to, to the pier in St. Anne, and uh, we were lucky that uh, St. Anne, the community of St. Anne, was providing fresh water free of charge there. So, uh, but I had to go with the dinghy or drive with the dinghy backwards and forwards and fill up the water tank uh, to keep us uh, going. So it's for convenience uh, on one hand. On the other hand, uh, on the long cruises, um, what I did was uh, buying drinking water in bottles, large bottles of uh, five liters. And that is creating a lot of rubbish. So when I was back from the six weeks cruise from Martinique to Helgoland, I think I had 10 bags. <laughs> Just of a trash. Plastic. <laughs> so it is, it is. So the water maker is, is 
yes, as I said, for convenience, but it's also reducing the trash. So, and, and you need space for the trash as well, which I'm, and that needs to be managed on a, on a small boat because it is, it takes space. So, yeah, I mean, definitely, I, yeah. Because you, so your boat, if you've got, you've got one cabin at the back and you've got one cabin at the front. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, fine. Yeah. yeah. So then, it, so your cabin is on the starboard side at the back? Uh, port side. Port side. And then you've got a bathroom on the starboard side. Yeah, bathroom and then a storage uh, area. Yeah. So if you've got like six weeks worth of trash, you've, but that's, that's like one bedroom filled with garbage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Yes, you can can make it a little bit smaller, but uh, my strategy was uh, uh, having the dinghy not upside down, but the other way around. So looking looking upside, and I had uh, all the uh, diesel and uh, fuel cans in that uh, storage area, and as soon as they got empty, I put those uh, into the dinghy. Uh, which was upside, so I could, could store them all in. And the space I created by that uh, was used by the rubbish bags. Yeah. Yeah, that's another, that's another thing to consider, isn't it? How much, how much trash you're actually making when you're yeah. out there as well. Yeah, so a water maker would solve a lot of that, a lot of that problem. Yeah. Okay, so I just want to talk about your, um, your trip back, because this was a big one. <laughs> this was a really yeah. big journey. And I take it you didn't intend on making that one trip originally. That was probably going to be stopping a number of, you know, a number of different ports, marinas, anchorages across North America. Um, I mean, you, you were in the Caribbean, the COVID lockdown started happening, and I presume it, it kind of tied in with your plans anyway. So you were going to be coming back around this time. Um, was it a bit daunting? Was it a bit scary thinking about having to do that entire journey in one go? Because the United States completely closed off access for Europeans. So if even if you had a problem, you wouldn't have been allowed to enter, I take it. Absolutely. So that uh, was uh, one of the issues. So actually, my initial plan was um, sailing to the Azores, arriving there in June, spending three weeks together with Anke uh, around the Azores, exploring the islands. And then I was uh, really looking forward to sailing slowly through the English Channel and visiting all the nice places where I have been before. It would have been great. It would have been really yeah. nice. <laughs> Fantastic plans. <laughs> <laughs> So that yeah, was the original plan. That was the initial plan, yes. Mm. Uh, very good. Uh, hopefully I can do that at some point of time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, was, it, would be, it would be really great. So, and, and then we had, had the lockdown, which um, I don't know why it surprised that, that suddenly. I mean, it hit us very suddenly. So I had yeah. uh, the first, first visitors on board in, on St. Martin. Uh, my three f uh, friends came and uh, we had good plans uh, sailing around uh, Saint-Martin, going up to Anguilla, St. Bas. And when they arrived, and St. Martin was from a customs clearance standpoint, uh, very strict, I would say. So, um, um, so they, they were really very formal, very strict. And what I did was I took my friends, with the, or the passports of my friends, and added them to the crew list. And then when we left uh, St. Martin, uh, we did customs clearance uh, to get out. So they got an exit stamp in the passports and they were out. And a week later, uh, St. Martin stopped uh, letting people in uh, who have been 21 days before in Germany. And they have been obviously 21 days before in Germany yeah. and they have officially left the country. 
so they couldn't get back in. And uh, the flight was uh, from uh, uh, from St. Martin. So that uh, was causing a lot of uh, headaches there. So yeah. then, and, and we went to some bars and then uh, uh, we we're thinking about how we can resolve that. And uh, we were only one night uh, in at Anchor uh, at some bars. And what I found, it was a little bit uh, rough during the night, so I had, uh, had the chance to, to Google a little bit. And uh, what I saw was, oh, one island after the other is uh, closing the borders. Mm. So we're not even, we are not only getting back uh, to St. Martin, uh, we might not, not go to any other island. So- You might not be able to uh, get on land at all. Yeah. So we, we stopped the cruise. Uh, they uh, went on a flight in the morning from St. Bas to Martinique because Martinique was uh, at that uh, time open and was uh, the best chance, chance getting a flight from Martinique to Paris or Amsterdam with uh, Air France or KLM. So we stopped it. And I even took them, them with me on the boat for two days uh, to Martinique. Um, actually, I did that uh, solo. And also Anke had already arrived on Martinique. She was supposed to fly to St. Bars. We stopped that as well. And we decided to uh, stay in Martinique, on Martinique. And I sailed down there and uh, the friends uh, flew down to Martinique. And they had to stay for a couple of days uh, in, in the apartment. And then they got a, got a flight home, quite lucky. Mm. And when I sailed down to Martinique, uh, so when I started, everything was fine. And when I arrived in the morning, uh, France uh, closed the borders, not completely. Uh, also, there was a same day there was a lockdown. Actually, I went to one of the few stations there where you usually can do customs clearance. That was not uh, possible. They didn't open up that morning. Uh, Anke came with a lady who provided that uh, accommodation to her for, for the last uh, two days. And she was very nice and she took her to the supermarket so Anka could buy a few things because that day it was said from noon, 12 o'clock, uh, no traffic on the roads, nobody can go out, you have to stay at home and supermarkets closing. And it was really, it was, it was an abnormal situation. For yeah, shocking. Yeah, shocking. Because I had, had uh, did customs clearance on some bars, so I was out of that country, out of some bars. And uh, so was between the island. Uh, so I felt a little bit uh, stranded uh, between the island. Mm. And then Anke came and then uh, with a lady who we went to the next uh, petrol station so I could take 60 liters of uh, diesel as well. Yeah, then uh, we, we both uh, left uh, Fort de France and went out. And actually, uh, coincidentally, um, I had met in the morning uh, Two guys from uh, from England as well. They wanted to do customs clearance, and we exchanged phone numbers, and actually gave them a call, and they informed me that uh, they could do customs clearance in Saint Anne. So we sailed to Saint Anne, uh, dropped the anchor there, and then rang them in the morning, and then they informed, oh, the petrol station or the fuel station for yachts is open as well, and then we hoist the anchor and uh, went there and. Uh, uh, took another diesel, took diesel, more diesel. We took uh, also water. And then I found out there that uh, uh, in Le Marin, the Capitainerie uh, would do customs clearance. And then lucky me, I could, could go there. It was all empty. Everything was, was closed there. It was uh, just, uh, the office was open. They opened the door only a little bit. And there was a, was a gentleman uh, with a mask and he asked me, what do you want? 
I said customs clearance, and she said yes. And I was really lucky and and yeah. happy over the moon that I could do customs clearance and and uh, officially and legally in the country. Because uh, the worst thing is you're you're stuck between the islands. Mm. Yeah, it's crazy. There's um, there's one uh, channel which I follow. I can't remember the name, um, but uh, basically they were sailing past Spain. I think they were intending to get to Corsica. I think. And they were in, I think it was Almiramar in Spain, possibly somewhere around that area anyway. And uh, they were on the boat. So they'd, they'd not checked into Spain. They don't need to. They were, the British, we, you will in the future, but they, they didn't back then. And when they got to Spain, they, they got in the dinghy. They were like, okay, we need to go and get water. Went to shore. Uh, the police guy was waiting on shore. He was like, no, no access. And the couple were like, well, we need water for the boat. They were like, no, you can't come to shore. Oh. And they, they were only able to actually get water. I think they, they had a, a follower of their channel on land based in Spain, and he took his dinghy, met their dinghy, and they exchanged uh, yeah. water. And, and that was it. Like, I, it was crazy. And, and that, that, I think, was easy. because In Europe, you know, you have the safety. At the end of the day, if something goes wrong, you call your consulate, you call your embassy, you'd be like, you know, listen, Germany, I'm in Spain, and they're not letting me get water. And something will work itself out, you know. But when you're in the Caribbean, you've got these very small, like, even in some cases, like kind of indigenous islands that don't have that many tourists. Like, it must be scary, especially then. Yeah. The good thing was that uh, uh, France did it uh, within reason. So they accepted uh, further yachts uh, for a few more weeks and then they stopped that, uh, also without uh, uh, quarantine. Uh, but but afterwards with, with quarantine they say made it a little bit uh, more difficult but um, uh, we have to be very thankful <laughs> to, mm. to france that they uh, uh, let us in that they gave us uh, that anchorage uh, for eight weeks free of charge that uh, sent and provided the fresh water mm. uh, they dealt with it uh, very reasonable yeah the supermarkets open and there was also no risk that uh, we are running out of food because the uh, Morin is a, is a large uh, charter base and all the, uh, the people uh, didn't come uh, to the charter yacht, so, and, but, but the food was on order, so the supermarkets were always full. Mm. That was uh, also very good. And then, the, as I said, the fuel station uh, for boats uh, was open, the, the fuel ponton, it, it all was, uh, was very good. But the situation further escalated in Europe at that time. So we got the first notifications that uh, Portugal wouldn't accept any other yachts and just Portuguese yachts. Right, so okay. So was probably a little break uh, with uh, what uh, we are known to or used to that uh, in Europe uh, you can can stay uh, uh, with, uh, within, uh, within Europe. So they didn't accept uh, yachts apart from uh, being uh, needing some help or uh, being in difficulties. And also the Azores were completely closed. And uh, as you know, on the return cross, the Azores are very nice stop and uh, most yachts use it as a stop in between uh, to Europe uh, to, to sail on. Even the Azores were closed. They didn't accept uh, people uh, coming into to the country. They, only, they opened that up a little bit uh, more later when they allowed that you can drop the anchor there and then you have to can go with the dinghy to the pier and then you can order something such as food, water and diesel. And then they would bring it to a gate, push it through, and then you, you pay this. So that, that was the only thing uh, which uh, was allowed. So, th so that means our plan visiting the Azores couldn't, 
couldn't be done. So yeah, it was completely <laughs> impossible. Did, did you ever consider leaving your boat in the Caribbean and then just coming back when the whole thing was finished? No, 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 no. No uh, option for you. It was it was never an option. I mean, uh, I didn't want to want to be away from home uh, for for that long, and it, it, it also was not foreseeable uh, how long it all uh, would uh, go on. Oh no, I mean, you leave the boats in the Caribbean, like put it on the hard, and then you just go back to Germany to see it out. Was that an option uh, for you? No, 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 it was an option. No, no. I didn't want to do that. Oh, because, um, so, so actually I wasn't sure where I could do that. Obviously you have the hurricane season, you need to go further south. I mean, mm. if I had put some efforts in, yes, probably I would have found a place where I could do that. Uh, but then on the other hand, you're leaving your boat you might get get a flight back to Europe, but uh, it's, it was very uncertain to, uh, if and, and and when you can can return to your boat. So your boat mm. would, would be in the Caribbean Sea, and uh, I would be in Germany. And uh, I mean, yes, afterwards uh, we know more, and so it was possible to fly back at, at some point of time. But but even now, it's it's not that easy yeah. uh, with uh, with a second uh, wave. So um, restrictions are are quite uh, quite hard there. So no, that, that was never an option. And also what, what I wanted to do is actually after the, the cruise um, around the Atlantic Ocean, I wanted to do those modifications on the boat. Uh, I needed uh, a repair on the sail drive. So the seal needed uh, needs to be exchanged uh, because okay. the boat 11 years. after seven years, you should do that. So I'm yeah. old, four years overdue. That's what I want to do. And, and also I have plans for the future. So <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it has never been my plan uh, sail from the Caribbean Sea uh, to the Pacific because, uh, as I knew, the boat was was good for for what I did. Mm. But uh, for for longer cruises, I wanted to gain that experience, and then I wanted to do the modifications, and also wanted to do the plans according to what I like and uh, what my partner uncle likes. So it was was never an option really leaving the boat there and postponing everything. So it was 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 clear that I sail back. But obviously, it was not possible entering France. France probably would have gone, uh, would, would have been possible, but you had to fill in a piece of paper, a declaration that uh, that would probably allow you to get in, but uh, everything was uh, quarantine of uh, 14 days. Mm. And then, uh, obviously, as I could not really have a nice stop on the Azores, and yes, I could, could have gone to the Azores and, and, and get there and... Uh, take water and, and food and, and, and diesel. But the diesel uh, you put in, you need to, to get there under engine and get out because usually the Azores are in a high pressure zone. Okay. And uh, you rarely, I mean, yes, I mean, under the right conditions, uh, you might be able to, to get there under sales as well. But but normally uh, you consume a lot of uh, diesel. And I thought, why, why should I yeah, use the diesel, get there and get out there? Uh, food I can can put on board uh, as as much as I need uh, for a non-stop cruise. Uh, water as well. Uh, I had the Honda Genset, uh, which uh, helped me uh, producing the electricity I need. I bought a few uh, additional cans for for the for the fuel. So I started with uh, 110 liters of uh, petrol. I had uh, with the inboard tank. I had uh, 260 liters of diesel. I had 150 liters of drinking water. I had over 400 liters of fresh water. So you were stocked up. Yeah. And, and yeah. actually, I saw the opportunity for an onset cruise and I jumped on that. I was. <laughs> <laughs> so it works out really well for you. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so uh, yeah, and I could say, yeah, I'm a little bit forced to do it. So nobody could say, oh, wow, you're crazy. I'm selling yeah, so, It wasn't my choice. I was forced into it. <laughs> well, I could say, oh, it's a better option. <laughs> yeah. No, I was really keen because uh, I wanted to sail as far as I like it. Because on, on the cruise from, uh, from Lanzarote to Guadeloupe, it was 27 days, but uh, yes, at the end, it was probably at the point where I thought uh, I want to arrive now, but uh, was, I was really not at the point where I say, okay, I have enough. Mm. So I wanted, wanted to see if I really can get to a point that I say, I have enough. <laughs> so 27 days on your own on a boat isn't enough. No, but, uh, and even after six oh. weeks, it, it was good. I mean, um, when you say a solo, and uh, so I, I didn't have a satellite phone, I didn't have... Uh, yeah, mobile data or something like that. Just that uh, a little Garmin. Uh, oh, the inreach. Uh, the inreach, yeah, which yeah, uh, is I, it's, it's not sufficient uh, getting the, the, the weather forecast just uh, via the inreach. Uh, you need something more proper. And that's on the list as well, by the way. Mm. Uh, getting a, uh, a region go with with a proper provider for, for wind forecast, uh, such as a pretty wind or, or something similar. And uh, But lucky me, uh, I'm uh, yeah quite well known in the community, so I had a lot of people giving me within the text messages that gave me weather, yes. and that was 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 absolutely crucial because uh, uh, with a, with a two day weather forecast that uh, you're getting via the Garmin, you cannot see how a tropical storm is moving. Yeah, of course, yeah. You are not seeing how the high is moving, so I was was really fully dependent on on the text messages uh, giving me those additional weather informa information. Yeah, that helped me also to, to manage the tropical storm. After that, uh, I'm not get fully in, but uh, had to go for three days actually on easterly course, and then uh, the tropical storm caught up, and then it was that week that it was not, not a big problem. Yeah, I've said, like I've had a discussion with my friends about this because um, we went to the uh, Canaries and we had the Garmin inreach, so it was really nice because. Uh, you can be tracked. So if there's ever a problem or yeah. the tracking disappears, you're like, yeah. well, we, you know, we need, we need to call somebody. But it was, you can keep in touch. So I was like sending my wife a message every day. Everything's really nice. Seen dolphins, bloody blah. And we were saying that you could cross the Atlantic. You could do an ocean crossing with this. If you've got like somebody back home who's competent enough to look at the forecast, they can send you a message, you know, like change your bearing, go south, go west, go east. And then, and then it can work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, going from uh, from east to west, it, it's probably more doable because you are in the in the trade wind zone, which yeah. is more or less stable at least uh, from a directional standpoint. You you get the wind out of uh, northeast, the east, and uh, sometimes north, but uh, that's more stable. But once you are returning, you're driving through the systems. Mm. So you have a low here, you have a high there, and you need to jump from one high to the other. So you need to have extremely good. Uh, information about the movement of highs and lows uh, to get through and uh, not getting caught uh, by a tropical storm yeah and not getting caught in an area where you have no wind as well because uh, if you're stuck for three days with no wind that's <laughs> maybe worse than getting stuck in a storm yeah that's uh, that's true um, yes I, I, it's absolutely right i think uh, sometimes it's easier to to battle with uh, rough sea and uh, and strong winds than uh, having uh, no wind yeah and my situation was worse because uh, due to the tropical, I mean, usually when you sail back from the uh, Canary Islands uh, to Europe or to the Azores, let's, uh, let's uh, put it this way, uh, you go north. And then when you 
around the Bermudas, uh, you are in the Westman zone and then you uh, drive uh, to the east to the, uh, to the Azores. Because when you go directly, uh, the area where you are at the high pressure is, uh, is much larger mm. than, uh, than more in the west. And that was, was my problem because as I had been diverted uh, for three days on easterly course, much, much for, from a latitude standpoint, so I think five or six degrees further south than Bermuda is. So mm. I was, uh, was too far to the east and then exactly I had the problem going to the high pressure uh, when it was very large. So, yeah. so and, and they are really large. They're not, not like we are used to uh, in, in, in Europe, uh, but on the ocean, uh, when you consider I, I sailed into that uh, high pressure one day with very light wind, then had it calm for 30 hours, and then I sailed out for another day mm -hmm. uh, in light wind. So you can imagine, uh, so if I, I, I do five knots on the engine, five times 30 is 150 nautic miles and 100 before and 100 afterwards, that's 350 nautic miles when you're in a calm area. Yeah. So it's large. Yeah, yeah, there's a long space. I mean, I've al I've always said if it's if it's an option between having no wind and just rocking around like that in the middle of the ocean, or having like thirty knots and three meter waves, I'd take the thirty knots and three meter waves because at least you're making progress, you're getting somewhere. Yeah. I mean, you might not get as much sleep, but it's better than just bopping around. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I think I, I think I'd rather take the storm to a certain extent. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, I'd yeah. probably prefer the bopping around. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, how many nautical miles was the return trip in total? Uh, how many what? How many nautical miles was the return trip in total? Oh, that was uh, 5,130 nautic uh, miles and more or less exactly 42 days. Non-stop. Yeah, non-stop. Yeah. Non-stop. I mean, that, that's probably the biggest trip you will ever do. Non-stop. Uh, that is the biggest trip I've done so far. Yeah, I mean, have you, have you got any trips planned that are longer than that? <laughs> Oh, yes. So actually, uh, oh, right. <laughs> yes, yes, there's a little story behind because uh, uh, when I uh, left the company in 2019, I have a lot of uh, colleagues, ah, probably more friends in Australia. And uh, they said, oh, Martin, you have to oh, come nice. with me. Because I, I mean, they all know my stories about uh, sailing and uh, where I've been cruising. And uh, so I'm, I'm talking a lot. And actually, I had, a, had an international team and a few folks in Australia so they know my, my sailing stories uh, quite well. And they say, you have to come to Australia. I always told them, oh, guys, that, that takes years. Because uh, first of all, you need to do a Caribbean cruise. And then probably sometimes uh, I need to go via Caribbean Sea, Panama Canal, and uh, the Pacific Ocean, years. And when I was sailing from uh, Lanzarote to Guadeloupe, I thought about that. I mean, why should, should I? put it out uh, so many years. Uh, I would like to, to meet them again. <laughs> uh, nice guy. So I thought, what's the quickest and easiest? Yeah, easy name or not, but uh, what, what is the fastest way? Let's put it this way to Australia. Mm. And then actually the other way around. So if you say from Europe, Azores, and then Canary Islands, uh, Cape Verdean Islands, and then South Africa, and then from South Africa to Australia. That, uh, that would be the years. And that was a plan I made on my first Atlantic crossing, but said, okay, let's see how the return runs. So, and that worked out much better than I thought. So I could deal with, with six weeks on sea, 
uh, very well. My boat did it even not equipped as I think it, it, it needs to be. And that's uh, what I'm doing over this winter now. So with, with, uh, with a much better equipped boat, I think I can make that. And, and actually the plan at that time was doing that. And when I arrived on, on, on Helgoland uh, after the six weeks, uh, the plan was made because as I said, it worked out very well. And at that time, um, the pandemic seemed to get a little bit better. At least the summer was not too bad. Mm. Uh, we, we could go to restaurants and something like that. So uh, a few things uh, were opening up. And at that point of time, I couldn't imagine that the pandemic uh, would uh, carry on that long. And, uh, and we would yeah, be true. still in a situation where we now in January 2021, um, looking into a lot of uncertainty uh, this year and uh, it's a moment we, we don't know how it all will work out. We're getting now the first people uh, with uh, vaccination but we don't know if they can still transfer the virus uh, even they are uh, vaccinated. So it is at, at that point of time I, I, I thought at the end of the year it's all over mm. which, which we know now is not. So the plan was selling to the Azores, spend and doing that what we wanted to do last year, doing that, yeah. sailing around the Azores and going by Madeira, Canary Islands, Cape Verdean Islands uh, to South Africa. I wanted to arrive there in October, early November uh, this year and then spending a few weeks in, in, in South Africa with Anke, going on, on, on game drives or something like that. Yeah. And then after Christmas, flying back and sailing from Cape Town to Perth or, or Melbourne. So there was a plan. At the moment, we still have the plan, but... Uh, it might be possible. We, I think we'll just yeah. have to see how the next couple of months go. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we keep the options open. So I will carry on with my little program of uh, equipping uh, my boat with what I have on the list. So I'm already in, in the procurement uh, process because uh, uh, there are certain delivery times, as we discussed in the beginning. <laughs> so you mm -hmm. need to need to make sure that you have the, the right uh, stuff on board that uh, you can do all the modifications. So I'm getting the boat ready with uh, what I want to change. And then I need to decide in, in May how the situation will look like. At the moment, Australia is considering closing the borders for the entire the 2021. No way. But, really? Yeah, that's what, what they are currently considering. At the moment, I think you can get in with uh, 14 days of quarantine. But... Uh, not quite sure how that, that all goes on. Then should, it's, a, it's, a, it's a question, should we really go to South Africa because there's a mutation of a virus which is more effective? Yeah, we're going to... But I think we will do that. So in the worst case scenario is that uh, Australia uh, will close the borders for the entire uh, 2021. Mm. But I hope 22 will be much better. I, I think at, at least then we should be able to return to a little bit more normality, that, that life is a little bit more normal. So the plan could, could, could actually be um, sending to the Canaries, hoping that I can, can fly back to Germany because I need to get my vaccination as well. It's a moment they are short of, uh, of uh, those, uh, uh, what is it uh, called, those doses. Oh, the the double dose. Is it the same in Germany? You need to get yeah, the uh, yeah. yeah, need to get it done twice. Yeah, they are short of that. So, oh, right. Uh, yeah, and I'm in the last group, 
So I'm in, in group six. So there are five other groups in, in front of me have higher priority. So Which is a good I, thing. It means you're very healthy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's true. Yeah, that's a good so thing, that, yeah. I'm not in the most risky group, that's, that's true. So that, that means probably I can, can get my, my vaccination in, in September or something like that. So probably bringing the boat to the Canary Islands, flying back to Germany, getting my vaccination. And then probably from there might be one of the options I'm, I'm considering at the moment, uh, sailing through to, to Perth. That would be 12 or 13,000 nautical miles. So that actually, if that's the option I'm, I'm doing, that would be... Uh, even much longer than you know what I've said before. So at the moment, you're contemplating with sailing directly from the Canary Islands to Perth. That's the That's next trip. Yeah, could That's be. That's one option. Yeah. <laughs> wow, <Well>, okay. <laughs> so yeah. I think you might yeah, prefer yeah. that than stop it, actually. It sounds like it. Yeah, probably, yeah. I was, yeah. Yeah, I cannot deny this. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like I could might enjoy it. Right, no, well... I didn't didn't find my limit on, on the cruise from Martinique to Ireland, so I'm, I'm still not there. Yeah, I think, I mean, who knows how far you can go, but maybe sailing to the moon is, uh, you might find your limit if that's a if that's an option. That <laughs> is a limit. <laughs> <laughs> it could be, yeah. Well, listen, Martin, thanks very much for your time. I think everyone's going to really appreciate learning, you know, more about you, more about your journey and where you come from and how you got into it. And uh, thank you for putting the content online so we can all learn and benefit from your experience. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a lot, Andy. Great pleasure for me as well. Yeah, it's good speaking to you. If you want to support the production of these podcasts, you can become a member of our community on Patreon, where you will be able to access extra content, interact with our guests, and become a part of the show.